What is up, my friend? Welcome to episode 100 of the Anthony Johnny Mix podcast. Episode 100. This is absolutely crazy to me because most podcasts don't make it past 21 episodes. And here we are at episode 100. It's pretty exciting. Uh, just like for me, I'm just like tooting my own horn. It's like a new level of commitment to creation. And this is really exciting to me, and I just want to celebrate that a little bit. I'm sitting here on my back porch, so if you hear some wind noise or some birds or whatever as we're creating some of uh, the intros for this podcast, um, hope you enjoy it. Today, I'm bringing you on one of my coaches who has changed my life uh, massively. I mean, seriously, she has served as a catalyst and really transforming uh, my marriage and the way that my wife and I interact and how we really connect with our daughter. She's just an incredible, an incredible parenting coach, and I'll tell you more about her in a little bit. But the main reason that I'm bringing her to you is because leading a business, leading a marriage and a family, like it can be a lot, like a lot, right? And I've learned a few things about how to make that level of leadership more simple. So if you're tired of your child throwing fits or you want to learn new ways, no matter what age they are, to create more connection with them and your family, which is going to translate in how you're able to lead your business and lead your team. So back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Anthony John Amex Podcast, helping entrepreneurs break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. Prepare to open your mind to the proven tactics and strategies the world's leading intellects have used to avoid a stagnant career and achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. It's time to increase your levels of power with your host, Anthony John Amex. All right, welcome back. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, if you want to know how personal brand leaders are unleashing their inner seven-figure entrepreneur and creating lasting transformation in their life and business in less than 90 days, make sure you go check out the free training I've put together for you over at trainingwithaj.com. By the end of that training, you'll know how to escape the internal pressure that keeps you feeling frustrated, unfulfilled, and burnt out. You'll have the three steps that will always give you unshakable clarity, confidence, and certainty. You'll know why the inner work is what is allowing seven-figure entrepreneurs to lead their industry, their market, their team, and their clients with driven inspiration, unwavering conviction, and power. And you'll also know what it truly takes to become and to, more importantly, maintain being the preeminent authority in your niche who is profitably pushing the world forward with your product and your service. So make sure you go over to Training with AJ to get immediate access to that training. Now, with that being said, let's talk about today's guest. Her name is Dr. Tiffany Noonan. She's an osteopathic physician and a parenting coach. In 2009, she became the founding physician for a practice in Georgia where she was able to really like fulfill her desire to bring cutting-edge pediatric care to a community that really... This was kind of in need of that. And in January of 2014, though, she left that thriving practice to follow her passion and provide even more support for families and, more importantly, to help children. Like, she stopped practicing traditional medicine because she found families often seek parenting advice from their pediatrician, and it was confusing and frustrating and overwhelming for many of the parents because the parenting advice that they got from the pediatrician it was just like based on dogma and tradition or what sounds good, but all too often it wasn't really based in current research. And she quickly learned that parenting is not <laughs> taught in medical school or residency. And I'll tell you from personal experience, it's not really even taught to us uh, as humans, right? It's something that we just kind of adopt. Now, Tiffany found a true change for a family takes time. 
and that unfortunately a primary care physician, no matter how much they really want to, is pretty much pretty unlikely to be able to provide that type of uh, information and that guidance in the current medical system. And that is what led her to founding Epic Parenting Coaching so she could kind of bridge that gap. And, and now her goal is to educate families on how their interactions and relationships with their children have a lasting effect on development and to provide real tools to bring about lasting, peaceful connection at home. Epic Parenting stands for Empowered, Peaceful, Inspired, and Connected Parenting. And she believes peace is possible at home and in our life, and the world really can change one family at a time. Now, I've personally experienced the peace and the connection that she talks about when using her tools. And part of the reason my wife and I first hired Tiffany was because our daughter, like she wouldn't stop throwing her food on the floor. My daughter's almost two now. Like During dinner time, she just like, boom, throw the food on the floor, throw the food on the floor. And it was driving my wife and I absolutely insane. And my wife was convinced my daughter had to finish her dinner. Like you had to finish your dinner. And she believed that if she didn't finish her dinner, that she wouldn't have enough food and she wouldn't grow. And there's this all these like stories that were wrapped up in it. And Tiffany really helped us see that that story was just bullshit. Like we were projecting onto Zyra and possibly Zyra was just like, yo, I'm done eating. Like I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> right. And so Tiffany really helped us to learn to really trust our daughter. Uh, trust Zyra that knew that Zyra knew what was best for her and that Zyra would eat enough food because I mean at the end of the day like and this is going to sound really crude but it is what it is like we humans were, we're animals uh, I mean we're going to eat enough food to nourish our bodies like our bodies they signal to us naturally like hey eat food if we're a you know they just, they just do. It's what we do. And so Tiffany was like, trust your daughter. Like, trust that she's going to eat enough food. She's going to find their, you know, if you if you give her options of good, healthy choices, nourishing choices, she's going to choose what's going to nourish her body. And so we're like, okay, we're going to stop forcing her to eat, and we're just going to trust her. And so we did that. And then during dinner, like, if we observed that she wasn't eating, uh, we would just ask her, like, yo, Zyra, are you done? And if she said yes, then we just let her out of her high chair. And then boom, when we did that, immediately no more tantrums at dinner time. And I could go on and on with the breakthroughs that Sarah and I, my wife and I, we experienced while working with Tiffany. Uh, I really could. There's so, so many. And the really cool thing is that the tools not only transform our relationship with our daughter, but they also transformed our marriage, which in turn gave me more capacity to produce and to lead in this game of business. So with that being said, let's bring Tiffany onto the show. Tiffany Noonan, welcome to the podcast. AJ Amex, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> I like the official introductions, not really, but it's no. perfect. It's perfect. I'm excited to have you on. You have revolutionized my life, my marriage, the way that I interact with my daughter. And I think there's lots of entrepreneurs who um, are trying to figure this whole parenting thing out, right? I think running a business is is pretty easy compared to compared to parenting. <laughs> I would 100% agree and I am honored to have played any part in a revolution for your family. <laughs> and one of the cool things I think about you and your your own journey is it wasn't like I don't know you had some enlightening experience where you're like, "Oh, I'm so conscious. I'm going to be a conscious parenting coach. I read all these books." It wasn't that like you came from the western medical world pediatrician. Yes. So you had the stark contrast of two, I think two totally different worlds. And one of the things that I really appreciate you 
appreciate about you rather is how you walk the middle ground. I really believe you're, you, you do a wonderful job, like calling people back to the truth line, not out of like this domineering way, but just like inviting them to really, I don't know, find that ebb and flow, the push and pull, uh, because, you know, you could take conscious parenting and go to the extreme, or you could take the dominating parenting paradigm and go to the extreme. And I think you're doing an amazing job in the middle. And I wanted to, to dialogue um, today about some of those concepts. So how, how did you come to this place of bringing people to the truth line rather than leaning all the way to the other side, going from Western medical world and saying, fuck this, I'm just going to go to the extreme other side. How did you find this middle ground of parenting? Um, I found it uh, authentically <laughs> by feeling miserable in it in myself. Like you said, I am a pediatrician and I was classically trained and I was giving all of the advice that I had been modeled by my mentors. They don't actually teach parenting in medical school, despite the fact that we all go to our pediatricians looking for parenting advice. So it was what I had seen, the reward charts, the timeouts, and then I had my own children. And I quickly discovered that the advice that I had been giving, that I was standing so staunch and true in, felt horrible when I was actually trying to do it with my children. I gave my son his first time out. He looked devastated. I felt terrible. And I was like, there has to be another way. Now, I didn't just say there has to be another way and get there. I wish that it had worked that way, but I had to go through the muck. So I did what you said. I read the books. I learned about conscious parenting. I created this ideal vision of what I wanted my family to look like. And then I went home every single day and I was yelling at my kids. I was not working. I had no idea what I was doing and I was feeling worse. More guilty, more I'm screwing them up. There has to be another way. So I actually got coached. <laughs> I joined a program and I learned how to actually figure out my triggers and why I was yelling and the stories that I was having and then started to implement it with my family and life transformed. But it was still real. I'm still a real person. I still get triggered all the time by my kids. And I realized that it wasn't going to help people if I pretended that I never got upset, that I never got triggered. And that for me, the honesty of this can feel messy and all relationships do was so important. I no longer chose to practice clinical medicine. Seven years ago, I left to found my business because I no longer felt that I was in full integrity with myself doing the Western medicine thing when I could make such a, more of a difference for families and for children by concentrating on connection and relationships and doing that in the way that feels true to me, which is being very honest, very honest about my journey, very honest about the times that it feels hard. And for us to find the balance in life of not feeling guilty and doing the best we can and simply learning from it. And I want to bring that into the work that I'm doing rather than have a bunch of people that feel guilty because they feel like they're screwing it up and aren't actually creating change. Nice, nice. And you may hear a train. And if you hear a train, Pearl, probably edit my audio if you're talking. And if I'm talking and you hear a train, you're just going to hear a train. There is nothing okay. that's going to happen <laughs> yeah. about it. It is, is going to be what it's going to be. So I'm going to go ahead and preface that. Back on point now. Um, so let's talk about parenting and entrepreneurship. So you're an entrepreneur. You own a business. Your husband is a marketer. He owns a business. What are some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs make when it comes into parenting? And how is that adding like more pressure and more just like despair to their already stressed life? I think some of the things that make people go into 
the entrepreneurial fields in the first place is a desire to create their own life, a desire to make things look a certain way and the ability to make that happen, right? If you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, you are creating a life that you want. I have found a lot of times entrepreneurs take that vision and they apply it to their children as well, who may not necessarily have the same vision. They may not fall in line directly. And they think that there has to be this, like, I'm doing it successfully if they look a certain way and things are looking a certain way. And taking that personality into relationships with your children is a setup for um, maybe not failure, but certainly for stress and for frustration. Um, especially if you're working from home and you are working one of those entrepreneurial hours of I work all of the time, right? Because I have my own business. I get up and I work. Children are going to cut into that. There is going to be a change in your lifestyle because they are going to want attention as well. They deserve it. But learning how to walk that line and adapt ourselves into this new role, role of parenthood is definitely can be a challenge for entrepreneurs. Do you think many entrepreneurs are projecting their own ideology of entrepreneurial living onto their children, ultimately potentially like creating and setting up a success equation for the child where the child's like, like the, the entrepreneur is like, well, you know, you don't need a normal job. You want to do it this way and this way, because I went down that way and that way is painful. So do it this way. Cause it's better. And I'm grooming my child and rather than really like connecting with the child and facilitating the child's interests. And again, not from a way of like, whatever your interests are, like just, you know, no boundaries. That's, that's not what we're talking about here, but really guiding their interests in a very, connective way, right? Do you think many entrepreneurs are ultimately setting their children up for more stress and more failure than actually success? I do. Um, possibly not any more than any parent, no matter awesome. what their experience is. Because I mean, I know I was certainly raised with the you should get a good job with benefits. And that is your marker of success. You know, if you have a 401k or 403b and you're or my dad at a pension and that's what you need to do to be successful so walking away from medicine I mean still I'm a 45 year old woman but my parents are still like mind blown like they're waiting for me to go back because it's out of the vision of what they have successful and we all desire for our children to be successful and I think it's normal until we actually choose to take a step back and say, what do they want to project that vision onto them to feel like we're being good parents and because we want them to have the best life. And so, yes, I do think that a lot of entrepreneurs also do the same thing is like, you want to do life this way because you'll have freedom and you'll have these things that you're valuing, which may not be necessarily what the child wants. I always joke like my, you know, my children may be entrepreneurial because it's what they've seen. But at the same time, I could have kids that like grow up to want to be accountants and work in corporate America, egads, like what are you going to do? But if that's their, where they feel called, it's my job to not get in their way, but instead be able to facilitate what works for them. It's not easy all of the time because we do have our own stories and checking those stories is so important. So how do we navigate that as, as, as a human where we're holding space for the potential of the child? We're, ho we're holding space for the potential for us as humans as well. How do we like guide them into their potential without, I don't know, without getting in their own way? Like how, how do we really lead from that powerful place? 
I think part of the key is a commitment to connection over control. I talk, I know that we've talked about this. I talk about this all of the time, but really recognizing when our behavior is one of trying to control what they're doing rather than being able to take a step back like you would do for a friend and say, what are you interested in? Or this is what I value. How do you feel about this? And be willing to hear their answer. Be willing to say, that's not what I had expected, but how can we create that for you? But it comes down to choosing to not control what it is that they're doing and actually recognize when am I trying to control their reaction or their response because it feels better to me and instead connect and simply ask the question. I like to say like, have a mind of a child, maintain childlike curiosity. Why are you saying that? What are you interested in? And ask the questions and listen instead of tell them what they should be doing or tell them what they should be thinking. And in that you may find, or at least I have found from all of my clients and from my own children, that there's a lot less conflict because they're I believe in humanity. <laughs> I believe in us humans. I believe that we are not here to create chaos in the world. And then it's us not feeling heard and not feeling seen that actually leads to the more disruptive behaviors. And now when you're willing to sit back and say, okay, tell me about that. That's interesting. They don't have to rebel against anything. They don't have to fight against it because there is space for it. Slow down and have a mind of a child. <laughs> I know one of the big takeaways for me, one of the big takeaways for Sarah, my wife was, um, Zyra's not out to get us. Like yeah. she's not out to test us. She's not out to like, I'm testing her patients. I'm doing like, she just has certain needs and she's trying the best that she can to meet those needs. And then we, the parents then create all of these stories and meanings of like, well, she's out to get us. She's testing us. She's trying to figure out if we're going to be strong, if we're going to be weak and who's the weakest link. And like, we're living in the land of concept rather than, you know, really, like you said, adopting the mind of the child and being like, well, what is she wanting to experience right now? Yeah. How, what need does she have that's not being met? How could we create uh, an experience for that need to get met? And then in doing that, a lot of the conflict just like magically just disappears. It is like magic, isn't it? It is sort of fascinating. But we've all, I mean, society has told us, right? There's the terrible twos. There's the they're pushing limits. Don't give in. I mean, you hear all these stories and if you believe it, that is what you end up creating. And my belief is that, every behavior, not just our child's behavior, my behavior and yours as well, is a best attempt to get a need met. It may not be ideal. It may not be the, the way that is going to best serve them in their life. But yeah, getting under it and saying, so I wonder what that need is, and then acknowledging it to the child. I, I am sensing that you are desiring more connection. How can we create that without having to start a fight or do something else? Or you are, you know, even a two-year-old may not be like, yeah, so I'm trying to be more significant. But if you recognize this may be a call for significance, how can we give her more choice? How can we allow her to feel that in a way that's healthy? And by stepping back and into that, your child is starting to learn how to navigate those feelings and how to navigate those processes from a much more mature level than a lot of us do it for the longest time, right? I know I certainly, when I felt insignificant, would start a fight for the longest time, rather than saying I'm desiring connection, yep, I would yep. just start a fight. And that 
never actually panned out the way that I wanted it to, but I did indeed get connection, just kind of sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's talk about like how some people may be listening to this right now, and maybe they have a fear of like, well, if I shift into this new way of exploring what a child's needs are, because this this methodology, this ideology, this philosophy, this whatever we want to call it, this transcends parenting. Like this, this, this yeah. is how we connect with humans, potentially our wives, our husbands, our just people. And so if we really adopt it, how do we let's speak to those people who are like, well, if I do that, then I'm going to be too soft and nobody's going to take me seriously and nobody's really going to honor me, respect me. Let's let's address a bit of that, because I, I still even to this day, there's a part of me that's like, if I don't embrace that, like they're not going to listen. Like there's still a part of me that wants to hold on to that dominating way of thinking. Yeah. And I, I always joke with people because my husband's former Marine. So when I came, you know, seven, eight years ago, I guess now when my boys were just two and three years old and I was like, we're going to change up the way that we're parenting. He was like, there will be mutiny. This is not going to go over very well, but I'll trust you. You're a pediatrician. But he really did not think that it was going to work necessarily. So to navigate that, I always try to let people know because people do think epic parenting, which is what I call my business, because I'm not, I'm not a big fan of conscious parenting for say, because it feels like it's name calling the people that aren't doing it. I'm not trying to say that you're unconscious all of the time. I'm just saying that we have subconscious beliefs. So epic parenting, empowered, peaceful, inspired, and connected is not passive parenting. There are limits, there are structures, there are boundaries that we create from a place of values that we explain to our children. And it is okay to stand firm in it. The empowered part of it is to say they also get to have their feelings about it and I don't have to change that. So if my child does not like a limit that I set, and it is a firm limit that is based on values for my family, he gets to be angry or he gets to be upset. We get to talk about how we can meet this and why it's important so that there's a deeper understanding. But it isn't about just letting them run the show because I truly believe parents are here to help guide, to help them know their power, know their strength, know, but also know what is socially acceptable and what is okay, even in the context of a family. So yeah, kids, this is a secret. Kids are actually humans too. So it is just human relationships. They're just people, just like everybody else. In navigating this for everybody, you can hold space and say, I recognize that your beliefs are different than mine. We don't have to agree but because I am firm in my beliefs and what I stand for, my boundaries are firm. And this is not going, you don't get to cross that line and still maintain this degree of relationship with me. Do that with my kids just as well as I do with everybody else. It took me a long time to get there. There used to be no boundaries, boundaries, mm-hmm. none. <laughs> Why do you think people don't set boundaries with their children? Is there afraid to, I don't know, maybe it's because they were dominated as a child. So they swing the pendulum to the other side and like, oh, no boundaries. And so most of parenting is like the pendulum swinging. I don't know that it would be most. I think there's probably two ways. There's that either I had a ton of boundaries. And so I swing it completely the other way because I didn't think the boundaries felt good. That is one way that it happens. And then the other way that it happens is I think often people that didn't have boundaries as well don't know how to pump their beliefs at them. So if they had very 
passive or permissive parenting, it is also a possibility that they're just doing what was modeled for them rather than being intentional. What do I desire to create in this relationship? What do I want this to look like? And then we get to make that happen regardless of how I was parented, regardless of where it feels good. I also think a lot of parents don't like to see their children upset. It, it triggers something in them that I'm failing or I should be doing this better or different. So not setting any limits is possibly a way of, well, if they don't get upset because I never say no to them, then I don't have to deal with those feelings of having disappointed somebody or doing something wrong. So I think there's a lot of stuff underneath that I dig into with my clients because everybody is different, but uh, those are definitely some of the more common ones that I've seen. What was one of the biggest breakthroughs that you experienced in this game of parenting? Like the thing that you had to get underneath that really changed the fruit? Yeah. Um, when I can say that I stopped yelling, I'm not exaggerating when I say I would like go to my office and I would have this vision of like what my family was going to be like and how I was going to parent my children. I would miss my kids so much when I was at the office. And then inevitably I would pick them up at daycare. They were young at the time and one, two, or all three of us would be crying before we even left the daycare parking lot. Definitely by the end of the night when I was telling them to put on pajamas, I was yelling, I was exhausted, I was living for bedtime, because I just needed a break. And then I was feeling guilty because I screwed it all up again. And what I figured out pretty early on is the reason why I was yelling at my kids is because I didn't believe that anybody listened to me and that my voice didn't matter. I had experienced things in my childhood, not dramatic stories, but enough to, to pick up this belief that it's my job to make everybody happy and my feelings don't actually matter. But that kind of didn't feel good. So when I would tell my kids, put on your pajamas, and then they wouldn't put on their pajamas, that hurt part of me would react and be like, there they, they're proving to me. This wasn't conscious, by the way, until I made it conscious. They're proving to me that I don't matter. So I would yell to create, like, I am important. You will listen to me. And I would start yelling. For me to actually dig into the fact that this feeling that's coming up doesn't mean I don't matter. It doesn't mean that they're not listening to me because I'm not important. It means I haven't connected with them. It means they don't understand why I'm asking them to do something. And I can, instead of just yelling across the house, put on your pajamas and then... and third time down the hallway yelling at them because they didn't, I can take a minute and say, Hey, I see you're in the middle of playing a game, get on my knee, look them in the face. When you're done doing this in five minutes, can you put on your pajamas? I would get agreement from them. And then they would go off and they would do what I requested because I actually acknowledged what they were doing. They felt seen and heard. And we came to an agreement. I didn't have to yell anymore. It was earth shattering for me and groundbreaking. And then within a few weeks after that, my son with the big feelings and emotions that was tantruming for like 20 minutes and I didn't know what to do. I was supposed to know what to do because I was a pediatrician, but I had no idea what to do. Looked at me one day and said, I'm feeling frustrated. And I was like, oh, I can deal with that. <laughs> I can deal with, he actually, actually he blamed me. He said, you are frustrating me. And I was like, I can even deal with that. We'll worry about the blame thing later. The fact that you are not on the ground screaming and crying right now with me having no idea what's going on is something we can work with. That was, and he was three or almost three at the time and the tantrums ended. Awesome. And what like overspill did that like shifting for you? I know it impacted your relationship with your children, but what other areas of your life did it impact? Every area of my life. So 
I realized in this process that I couldn't expect more from my children than I was willing to do and be for myself. So I was not happy in my career. I didn't feel fulfilled. I was good at it, but I didn't feel fulfilled. So I chose to leave clinical medicine to follow my passion and to follow something that felt important because it felt important for me to model for them that you can course correct and that you should do what you love regardless of what happens. I It improved my dynamic in my relationship with my husband because I was definitely very codependent in that relationship and learning that I got to fill my own needs and that I didn't have to depend on him to make me feel better or to give me permission to have fun, right? He was the fun one. I was the serious one. I didn't need his permission to have fun. I got to create that on my own. Um, It affected that. It affected my relationship with my parents. Um, in a good way, I would say. I don't necessarily know all the time how they would say it because I learned to speak up for myself and to hold my own boundaries and to stand by what I believed in for my family and for for my children. And my parents are wonderful, loving people. And I still get to make my own decisions. And it's interesting to know that as like a professional female that I was still making a lot of decisions based on whether or not they would approve. But instead I got to make the decisions that felt good for me. Um, and as my children have gotten older, I've only seen it more and more affect how they make decisions. I made a post years ago, eight years ago actually, about why I allow my children to say no to me. Um, I want them to be able to say no to authority figures. I want them to be able to make decisions based on what feels good to them internally and not based on what they think will make mom happy or make, because guess what? My time as their authority figure is limited. We've exceeded it at this point. I am their authority figure, but they have friends now. And even just this past weekend, they had friends playing in the yard. Then they said to me, we're going to go to the playground and play. I was like, what playground? I don't even know what playground you're going to. They're like, oh, the playground at the church. I was like, okay, have fun. They came back five minutes later. And my 10-year-old son said, I came home because it didn't feel good to climb a fence that had a lock on it to play in the playground. And everyone else climbed the fence and went into the playground. And my kids came home because it didn't feel good to them. It was obvious they weren't supposed to be there. And I'm like, I didn't have to have that conversation with them. They know how to check in and say, this doesn't feel good. We're not going to make this decision. And that's what I hope for them in their life, because I'm not going to follow them around saying, is that really what you want to (laughs) do? So good. And what about the times for like people who, you know, you're like, hey, put on your shoes. We need to go out the door. And they're like, no, not putting on my shoes. How does somebody find the balance between those two things where it's like, we have to get this thing done. We're going to lead you to get the thing done and still want to give you permission to be able to like speak your truth and your voice. How does a parent be able to navigate that dichotomy? So a lot of times when I find that kids aren't doing what we ask them to do in that moment, there's either a lack of connection in the first place. They don't understand why we're asking. At times it can be that our request is boring, right? We're kind of boring as adults and we don't understand. I think the first thing to do is actually say, hey, this is what we're doing. I see, acknowledge what they're doing. I see that you're having fun right now. And this is the reason why we need to get out of the house, but let's plan for some fun later. What do you want to do? Step number one, acknowledge their desire, their need and make a plan for it. Step number two, let them have their big feeling. If you really need to leave, (laughs) It is okay to be like, all right, you don't have to put on your shoes, except for getting in the car. You're going to eventually have to put them on and we get to go. And that's okay. 
I hear you and you're not allowed to stay home alone because you're four. So for safety reasons, you're going to be coming with us. Um, allowing them to be upset about it if they want to. That's usually like a leave the playground thing too. Like, I don't want to leave the playground ever because I'm having fun. Um, planning for the next fun adventure, I think is important. I think a lot of times with children, we don't realize that they have no idea what is on our to-do list, right? We don't share with them the plan, the schedule or anything else. And then we expect them instantaneously to come right now because this is what I said. So I have found for a lot of children that have um, strong desires for significance, just letting them know the schedule. Hey, this is what we have to do today. We're gonna be doing this and this and that so that when you spring it on them, I need you to get your shoes on because we're going out the door. It's not this new thing, but we've actually shared with them. Because if you think about it as an adult, right? If you're in the middle of working or you're putting this podcast together and your wife walks in and is like, all right, let's go. You might be like, I didn't know we were going anywhere. <laughs> like, so just including them in the schedule, I think is really important as well. Um, and then sometimes if they have to be unhappy, they can be unhappy. <laughs> it's all right. Awesome. You gotta go. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about working with you is taking a really good hard look at the way I was parented and what ways of being I created and adopted and how that then is impacting my own outlook and perspective. How often do you find uh, people actually taking the time to look at that and to see how that is impacting how they're relating with their children and their spouse and just humanity at large? So what I find most often when people come to me to work on their parenting, um, one, they come to me because they're having a behavioral problem with their child and there is something quote unquote wrong with their child or something they're trying to fix with their child. I let them know right up front that this work that we do is going to involve them. I don't really ever need to talk to the child, but I found that a lot of people don't quite get that until somewhere around week three or four of working together when they're like, I'm not sure we're doing this right because we're still talking about me. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> the issues you were having with your child <laughs> have resolved. So I don't think instinctively a lot of us go and dig into it. And I think it is the integral and most important first step. The first step of, every, well, the second step. The first step of what I do with everybody is let's create the intention. What do you want this to look like? Because I don't work with families and tell them what they want their family to look like. That is not my job. What do you want your relationships to look like? What do you want it to feel like so that we can work on creating that? So once we have an intention, the step, second step is let's figure out the stories you have underlying all of this that is making it challenging to create that. Your stories as the adult are what is getting in your way in life, in general, in everything. It is our stories that make us not feel good, that lead us to these experiences that we say we don't want, yet we continue to create over and over again until we're willing to look at them. So most people don't come to me looking for it, but that's what they're going to get. <laughs> and this is it really just the stories, meaning the beliefs that we have, the thoughts that we carry, or is it or is it more than that? Like, is it also the the unresolved, unprocessed emotions that we've suppressed and sedated and put down in there that we haven't just experienced and been with as well? Like, is it just stories or is it also the emotional piece as well? 
No, I use the word stories, but I really believe it's the, um, the buried emotions and the unfelt things that we experienced as a child that are still uncomfortable, that come up. It's subconscious. So, I mean, I love neuroscience, right? So we have these experiences and no matter what it is that we had, either it could be one significant emotionally impactful experience that led to like this pattern in our subconscious, or it can be just repetitive over and over again, things that we heard that make us uncomfortable. And the first, the one of the first steps in figuring out is actually being willing to acknowledge what you are feeling. To be able to hold space for your children's feelings, we as adults have to actually be able to feel. So again, from my experience, I had numbed for so long my own feelings just to get through life, to get through a medical career, to get through all of these things. That's the reason why my big feeling tantruming two-year-old was so overwhelming to me because I didn't have permission to do that. I didn't know what to do with all of those big feelings. So the first step was really recognizing what am I feeling in my body? What is this like physical feeling? Cause your body knows before you do. That's how I could stop yelling. Wait a minute. I have tightness in my chest. This is what happens every time before I lose my shit. I know what that means. And I get to remind myself that I am safe, that this is not that circumstance. And I also get to acknowledge it and let those feelings out in safe ways so that they no longer run the show. Awesome. What advice would you have for parents who really want to create like a connected relationship with their children? And, and how much do you think it actually allows them to produce at a higher level because they're not draining massive amounts of energy and, you know, handling tantrums with children? Yes. I always say that parenting this way may not be the easiest way because it is probably easier to yell and to get them to agree in that given moment. The issue is, is that 10 minutes later, you have another conflict and you're navigating that and you're getting, you know, putting out that tantrum, putting this issue out and you're spending a lot of energy in that rather than being able to say, how are we going to create connection? deciding how you're going to do it and deciding to connect. Once you've done that, it takes work to dig into your own self, but the long-term results are that you're not having as much conflict. You aren't fighting as much every day. You have the space to say, I need to take time for myself and walk away and then come back and resolve things in five minutes that you might've spent an hour and a half having a fight about or having an argument about or feeling bad about when you've learned the tools of how to reconnect. I mean, we all, in this house, we're all very human. Me, I think, above all else, is the one who is most likely to be triggered or emotional or say something. I don't hold my feelings back anymore. And it doesn't take but two seconds to turn around and say, you know what, that wasn't fair. I don't desire to talk to you that way. This is why I was feeling frustrated. How can we fix it and resolve the whole issue within five minutes instead of storming off, feeling bad, kids crying, then further behavioral outbursts so that they feel heard? Um, It saves a ton of time. And energetically, you're happy. You're no longer feeling guilt. You're no longer feeling shame. You're no longer feeling anger. All of these things that drain your energy resolves itself because you've resolved the issue and you feel connected again. It's just as important for us as for them. 
And if you could give yourself some wisdom, like if you go back in time and give yourself some wisdom that would help you collapse time and get results faster, what would you tell yourself? It's okay that it doesn't feel great all of the time. <laughs> the pain is important to feel because I still try to avoid feeling the pain for a really long time. Um, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry in the midst of the process instead of trying to hold off on those feelings. Because I used to like avoid anger like the plague. I'm nice. I don't get angry. <laughs> and I think that held me back in my forward growth for years because I was kind and I was loving and I was everything else, but I didn't allow myself anger. So I would go back and give myself permission to feel all of it, including the anger, which in my head wasn't an acceptable emotion. So good. Anger was a big one for me. And it's funny that you said you would just experience the pain or some variation of that because we had yeah. somebody in Project Shift, we're going through and dialoguing about this. And Jonathan was just like, pain is a story. And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, pain is just a story. Just be with it. The pain is bullshit. Like the story of it being painful is just bullshit. Like the reality is it's an emotion that's going to last somewhere between 30 seconds and 90 seconds. And you can ride the wave and you're safe to experience what you're experiencing. And then the experiencing of it, you find a place of power and a clarity to be able to navigate anything. <laughs> and be, being willing to get honest with yourself. So for me, what I consider to be the pain is my greatest breakthroughs, right? The pain was acknowledging that I actually created all of these negative experiences because of what I believed about myself. And that's what it took for me to get to the point of saying, I don't want to believe that anymore. But I had to take responsibility. And for me, it was kind of painful to take responsibility and be like, oh, no, I did that. I created all of it. The hot mess of all of it. I did that. And thank goodness I did. Awesome. Because I got to end some generational issues with my children, hopefully, by being willing to let them be seen and heard and not have to live up to my expectations of what their life is supposed to look like. So good. And if people want to connect with you, where can they go? Where can they learn more about you? All that good stuff. Um, my website is epicparenting.org, O-R-G. So E-P-I-C parenting, P-A-R-E-N-T-I-N-G.org. Um, I'm also Tiffany Deanna Noonan on Facebook. They can message me there at any time. I'm pretty easy to reach, but epicparenting.org. Um, there's a WUFU form there. They can reach out. I'm always happy to offer free consultations. We can get on the phone for 60 to 90 minutes and really talk about what you're experiencing in life. Awesome. Cool. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my friend, Dr. Tiffany Noonan. She's an absolute rock star. And I hope this conversation really gave you some insights into objectively starting to look at how you are parented and to start asking if that way of parenting is fueling your capacity to create the desires that you have for your family and business or if it's not. And part of the reason I'm encouraging you to really look at this today is because I know when I dove into my shadows of parenting, it's unlocked a whole new level of connection with my wife and my daughter, and it's fueled my ability to create in the game of business. It's like expedited. It's created it faster. And so I really want to encourage you to look at that because this game of life, this game of business, it's not really compartmentalized. People say to compartmentalize, but the truth is it's not. Like every area of your life is like... um. A cylinder in, in an engine like inside project shift inside uh, our coaching we talk about uh, the success engine the five cylinders I even did a podcast on it so you have faith family fitness finance and fun and if 
these are five cylinders. And so if any of these cylinders are blown, you know, like your family cylinder, how you're relating with your child or your wife, like if there's stress and there's tension and it's not expansive and fun and like lighting you up, like you're hemorrhaging power. Can the engine still run? Can you still get shit done? Yeah, absolutely you can. But it's like an engine, like an engine will run with a blown cylinder, but it's going to it's going to run rough. It's going to take a lot more energy. It's just not going to be in a place of power. It's not going to get you to your destination efficiently, right? And so when we start taking a look at our lives and stop buying into the bullshit stories of like, oh, just compartmentalize that part of your life and show up and do the fucking work. The truth is, is like, no, that area of your life, your family, your relationships with your children, they have an impact on how you lead and how you run a business. And so I'm just encouraging you today to really look at that cylinder, your family, how you're relating with your children, how you're relating with your husband or your wife or your family, your friends, and really choose to rise above the things that have been passed down to you that you have inherently adopted and to really take a good hard look at them and ask yourself, hey, is this empowering me or is this disempowering me? And whatever the answer is, there's no right or wrong you get to make the adjustments. And so I hope this conversation with Tiffany today um, really helps you start thinking about that and seeing some ways to shore up some things for you. So my friend, if this inspired you in some way, I'd love to hear about it. Simply take a screenshot of you listening to this podcast on your device and post it over to your Instagram stories and tag me at AJ Amix. And also let's tag Tiffany um, at epic underscore parenting. So at epic underscore parenting. Um, over on Instagram. So thank you so much for being here today. Until next time, my friend, I'm out. Peace. That's all for this episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. But we have plenty more to help you achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. Head on over to ajamix.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. We look forward to having you back for the next episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. Bye for now.